I, I feel like um, I have a word today, and it's actually really serious. It's actually really um, personal, and, and it's quite serious. And uh, over this past couple months, God and I have really been on a journey about something very specific. And uh, I feel like he wants me to share that with you all today. And it's a word for me. It's something that I've been journeying, but I felt he said that he wanted me to share it because it's a word for you too. And maybe somehow somebody today is going to be impacted by my experience and, uh, and of course, by the word of God, right? We're always impacted when we come with a humble heart to learn and to sit at the feet of Jesus in a posture of humility and tenderness and openness. Uh, Jesus, teach me. Jesus, let your word come alive to me today. Transform me today. And, uh, and I know that there are some people in the room and some people online that are not okay. I know it. I know some of us we're just not okay. Or we have some seasons or we have some days where we're just not okay. And I want you to know that God is always okay. He is always trustworthy. He is always faithful. He is always dedicated and he is always with you. And even when you feel like you're not okay, when you're like, sometimes I'm just not okay, Jesus is always okay. Let me open in prayer. Jesus, we just pray that as we dig into the scripture this morning, that it would be covered in the blood of Jesus, Lord God. I say to the enemy, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are bound and you are sent back to the pits of hell, and you have no place in this room. We will have no lies in this room. We will have no deformity or twisting of words. But in the name of Jesus Christ, transform our hearts today by the word of God, by the spirit of truth, by revelation and intelligence and wisdom and knowledge and transformation and change. May you abound in this place, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we've been in this series called Suddenly in the book of Acts, and I have loved the messages Pastor Greg has shared with us, and last week was one of my favorites. Like, it was just so incredible how he described that mammon spirit. And so as we've been going through the book of Acts, and, and if you've been reading it, that's fantastic. If you haven't, it's not too late. It won't expire or disappear after we're done the series. It'll still be there in the Word of God, so you can still still go and take a look at it and, and read it. And today I'm going to jump into Acts chapter 16. So let me just give you a little bit of context of what's going on here. This is Paul and Silas, and they have been on a road trip, okay? They've been on a journey. And there were moments where they have been persecuted, they have been challenged, they've been chased, and I'm pretty sure, just like some of us today, they would say, I'm not okay. <laughs> I don't feel okay with everything that is going on. You see, these guys were preaching the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth as they went. And they get to this city, the city of Philippi, and at this point of time, there's about 10 to 15,000 people that are living in this city. Now, there's no Jewish synagogue. And what we know from culture and from Jewish tradition is that if there was 10 men that were Jewish in a town or a city, they would build a synagogue. 
but there's no synagogue in this place, okay? So we know 10 to 15,000 people, none of them are Jewish, right? So we know this. There's no Jewish synagogue. And so what the, the Paul and Silas and a few believers that they did have would gather together down by the river and they would pray and they would worship. And that was kind of like their meeting place. That became kind of like their sanctuary was this spot by the river. And so let's go to verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, so it's by the river, right? This is where they've been gathering, Paul and Silas and a few others. They were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So this girl is demon-possessed. And if you've been to a fortune-teller, if you've had tarot cards read, uh, you are asking somebody who's demon-possessed to give you that information. That's just, that's just how it is, sorry, but that's just how it is. And so that's what this girl did. She was a fortune-teller, right? She, she you know, would give that kind of information from the spirit of evil that could reveal the information for her. And so she was a slave. She was owned by people. And so she didn't get a lot of the profit from this uh, gift that she had, but her owners did, right? And, and so they really uh, kept her tight because they profited from her. It says, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So how did she know that they were from the Most High God? Well, remember in James 2.19, it says, right, that the enemy recognizes who God is. And the enemy recognized that the spirit of the living God was inside Paul and Silas. And so she knew who these guys were. And so she kept doing this for many days, it says. And, and she's just following them around, yelling out, right? These men are servants of the Most High God. And, and they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Talk about an advertising campaign, right? These guys didn't even have to advertise. She was doing it for them. As she was proclaiming to everybody who they were. Paul becomes really annoyed, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, the demonic spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, right? This was their income. This was their financial income. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers right? The, the owners didn't actually care about the girl. Because if they cared about the girl, they would, have, they would have cared that she had been released, that she had been set free. They didn't care about her as a person. What they cared about was their financial gain. And basically, they were like an occult pimp that was prostituting her spiritually and gaining from the enemy in her, revealing information to other people, and they benefited financially. They didn't care about the girl. They cared about the money. And when they had brought them, so when they brought Paul and Silas to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And remember, again, this is a pagan place, right? There's no Jewish synagogue. So the things that they're talking about are brand new, completely different. They've never heard of these things before. And what do we do when we hear something different, when we hear something that could impact us, that there could be change? We say, we challenge it. We say, down with that down with that change. No, no, no. Don't you tell me I have to drive a different route to get to work. 
Don't you tell me I have to go to a different McDonald's to get my coffee. Like, no, 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 down with change. And that's what these guys do, right? They stir up the city because they don't want change. And so the crowd joins in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore off the garments and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jail guard to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now let me tell you, in the days of Paul and Silas in the city of Philippi, this prison was a hell. After you were beaten, and there was no medic, there was nobody cleaning your wounds, you were bloody, you were wounded, there was no bandages, there was nobody caring for you, right? There was no intercession because maybe a guard had been too brutal with you. No, 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 none of that. There was no change of clothes, there was no shower, bloody and wounded, you were thrown into the jail. And in an inner prison, it was like deep, like into like um, a cave kind of a thing where it was extremely dark. There was no water. It was probably cramped. There would have been very few toilets. And so the stench would have been repulsive. It would have made sleeping difficult and your daytime hours would have been miserable. And, and food was never brought to you. It was not a luxury as we have in our prison system. So you had to have your family bring food to you. And so prisoners begged to be killed or they committed suicide. And in those circumstances, what would you do? If you were Paul or Silas, what would you do? Would you be like some of the jailers that are like, I'm just going to give up. I just can't do it another day. I just can't handle this prison. I just can't. I just can't. And would anybody judge you? I mean, what a circumstance. Well, let's look and see what Paul and Silas do. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Say praying. praying. And singing hymns. Say singing hymns. To God, say to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. You see, Paul and Silas were filled with joy and they were singing praises to God. It did not matter their circumstance. There was nothing that was going to stop them from praising and worshiping God and for taking time to pray to him. You see, God shifts our atmospheres when we praise him when we pray, when we bow before him, when we surrender, when we exalt him, when we rejoice in his name, when we proclaim it, God shifts atmospheres, doesn't he? He does. And then it says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And you got to know that this suddenly, this great earthquake, this was not a fluke. This was not a shift in the ground. This was a supernatural event of God. This was a supernatural event. There was nothing natural about this. It doesn't say that the walls caved in, that people died. If there was an earthquake, isn't that what would happen? 
but the doors miraculously, supernaturally opened, and then all of the chains were unlocked and released. There was a suddenly, and it was a supernatural suddenly. I want you to say there's a suddenly, and it was supernatural. <laughs> now, the rest of the story, I'm going to paraphrase for you. When the jailer wakes up, all the prisoners are still in their, in their cells, but they haven't left, but the doors are open. And so, of course, he can't see them because it's so dark in there. And he gets his sword, and he's about to commit suicide because he would have been tortured and killed for letting prisoners escape. And so he's like, forget it. I'm just going to take my own life. And they're like, stop, stop, stop. We're still here. And he brings in some lights and he sees that all of the prisoners are still there in the prison cells. Paul and Silas and these Christian men, they tell the jail guard about Jesus Christ, their, their savior. They tell them about the gospel. And the jail guard and his family give their lives to Jesus. They are set free. And those prisoners are set free. And it's this incredible story of God releasing us from our prisons. And you see, we have all been in prison or are currently in our own prison. Does anyone agree? Sometimes we're in our own prison and we have created it. Sometimes other people have created a prison and tried to, to bind us and, and hold us into that prison. But today... I want to talk about how to get out of that prison because it's not a secret. <laughs> it's not a secret and it's so easy because today we need a suddenly. Do we need a suddenly in this generation, in this society? We need a suddenly. We need a move of God right here, right now. We need a suddenly. And that happens first when there's a suddenly in you and a suddenly in me. When we as prisoners are cast, we cast all of our cares upon the Lord and we are set free. The atmosphere changes and it gives room and environment for a suddenly, a move of God. You see, we create our own prisons, and I'm going to slide this over here, and then Eden's going to pass me some of these boxes, because you know how visual I am, and, and this just always helps me if I have visual things. So the first one that I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about these really quick. The first one is sin, okay? Does sin imprison us? Yes, it does. Sin traps us, doesn't it? It imprisons us, right? Our sin, because we don't confess it. And it gets in the way between us and God. Because we know God is perfect and we are not. And so in order to be in God's presence, we need to confess our sin and be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, the next one I want to talk about, because I'm pretty sure you guys know that one. But the next one I want to talk about is how I don't forgive others. Now, I know that we often think, well, I don't need to forgive them because they don't really understand how they've hurt me. They don't really get the pain that I have encountered and experienced because of their actions. And once they get how much they've hurt me, then I'll forgive them. 
right? This is what we think, right? Once they understand the pain that they've caused me, then I will forgive them. Oh, beloved church, it's you in the prison with that kind of thinking, The other person is not imprisoned by your unforgiveness. You are are imprisoned by your unforgiveness towards that person. And it doesn't mean we excuse behavior. It doesn't mean that, that we are in those unhealthy places with that person. But when we forgive, it pulls us out of that prison. You see... We trap ourselves in our own prison. And Jesus doesn't say anywhere that once your offender really understands your pain, then it's time to forgive. He says in Matthew 6, 14, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Let that soak for a second. Like, dang. If I don't forgive the people that have hurt me, God will not forgive me. I want to be forgiven. I want to be forgiven. I want victory and breakthrough in my life. I don't want to be trapped in old ideas and old habits and old ways. So I got to learn how to forgive the people that have hurt me. The next one is I don't forgive myself for the rotten things that I've done. Ooh. You know, we will often look at sin on different levels, right? And so it's like, God, I will confess. I will talk to you about some of the sin. There's some of the things that I can admit to you, but there's some hard ones and I'm holding way back there, and I don't want to let you into those places, and I don't want to confess those things, because if I do confess them, then I have to admit that I've hurt somebody, that I could have hurt somebody deeply, tragically. I could have hurt somebody, and and I want to share some examples, because maybe one of these is going to connect to you. Maybe you've cheated on a spouse, And you don't want to forgive yourself for doing that. Maybe you've stole something. Maybe you've slandered somebody and it's ruined their reputation. Maybe you've hurt your family so deeply with your actions. And you don't want to forgive yourself. Why? Because you don't think you're worthy. And so what do you do? You trap yourself in a prison. Like, I'm not worthy to be forgiven of that. You don't understand how bad it was. You don't understand the people I've hurt. You don't understand how I've wrecked my family. And I deserve to be in this prison. This is what we think. This is what we think. Did Jesus endure the cross thinking that he would defeat sin and death for just a few of your sins? When you stand before God, how will you explain to Jesus that his death wasn't enough for that one mistake? Right? You deserve to be free of your prison. The next one is that we don't ask others to forgive us. And this one, I think sometimes we slough off 
things that we've done, right? It's almost like one extreme to the other. It's like I'm imprisoning myself because of what I've done is so terrible to the other one, which is, ah, oh, it didn't really hurt them that bad. I'll just let it go. Like, no, I don't, I don't really need to talk to them about it. And so we don't ask other people to forgive us, right? And we need to. We need to ask people to forgive us. If that person is still alive and there's a way that you can make amends, I encourage you, go and make amends. Because when you don't, it's like trapping you into a prison. And the last one I want to talk about is how we don't forgive God. We don't forgive God. And this is a sensitive one. But I want you to hold on with me for just a second through this, okay? So we get mad at God. Like, let's be honest, we do. We get mad at God. I have, I have been mad at God. God didn't do what I thought he should do. He didn't answer a prayer the way I wanted him to answer the prayer, and he let me down, and so I was upset with him. I was mad at him. And I think some of us maybe even feel like we are a target for struggles and that God is just allowing all of these terrible things to happen to us. And so we're even more mad at God. Like, if you really love me, why are you not stepping in? Why are you not intervening in these things, right? Maybe we've lost a loved one and we just don't get it. We don't understand and we're mad at God. Or maybe your loved one is diagnosed with a crippling disease and you're just like, I just can't take one more thing, God. You know this. Maybe you've suffered abuse or you have a traumatic experience or a major loss of some kind or a disappointment with unfulfilled hopes and dreams. God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to. And disappointment with God is one of the most common reasons why people leave the church. They turn away from church. They stay distant from Christianity because they just don't understand it and they just can't wrestle it. They just can't get it. And I want to share something really personal that happened just over this last couple months. I didn't talk to God for a whole day. Now, I, this was a few weeks ago, and I need you to know, I did not blaspheme God. I need to be clear. I did not disrespect him. I did not curse him. I did not say I did not believe in him. But I was so mad, I did not want to talk to him. I was like, you go over there. I will be over here. I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you right now. Something extremely tragic had happened in my family, and we had lost a 24-year-old cousin, and I have a large family, but every single one of them is knit and created by the God of our universe, and my heart breaks when I lose one. <laughs> and a couple months ago, I lost a cousin suddenly, tragically, and then now this, a 24-year-old cousin and he was predeceased by his sister who passed away three years ago as a teenager. And now my aunt and uncle have no children that are alive. And I'm devastated for them. And I am mad at God. I don't want to talk to you. This was a workplace accident. Why couldn't you have done something different? Why couldn't an angel have come in and, and, and saved him and he broke his legs or his ribs or just something, just anything that he had stayed alive? God, why did you not do this? And I was so mad at him, I didn't want to talk to him. I just didn't understand. 
And then I reached out to a dear friend of mine who's here and from Gateway, and she reminded me of Pastor Greg's message that Sunday before. And Pastor Greg had talked to us about the lies of the enemy. When the enemy takes and twists those words and say, did God really say that? And that was the wrestle that was going on in my head. Did God really say he would protect my family? And then I stopped and I was like, oh no, enemy. I might be mad at God, but you will not have a second of airtime in my head about this conversation. I know that God goes before me. I know that I can trust him. I know your lies and I hear your stinky voice and you can get out of here. But the thing is, I still wasn't ready to talk to God, right? I wasn't talking to him, but I need to be super clear again. It's not that God wasn't talking. God did not leave me. I didn't want to talk to him. I felt like he had let me down. And I often am in and out of God's presence. I know God's presence. We come into this sanctuary. I know God's presence. My office fills up with his presence. My car fills up. Our home fills up. Like, I know the presence of the Lord. But it's often like an on or an off, right? It's kind of like sometimes I don't feel it. Well, during this one day that I didn't talk to God, let me tell you, Jesus was with me. He stood right behind me, and I have goosebumps right now, because he did not leave me in that moment. And he made very sure, very clear, that I knew he was there. You might not be talking to me, my beloved daughter, but I am here for you, is what he was saying to me. You see, in my space, I just was not okay. And sometimes I'm just not okay, church. And I don't know if some of you feel the same way. Sometimes I'm just not okay. But here's the thing. Jesus is always okay. He is always okay. Jesus is always okay. And there's a lot to the conversation that happened that I'm not going to share. But I want you to know I sat pouting for a day because I was so mad that God didn't answer my prayer the way that I wanted him to. And I would try so hard not to talk to him. And then I would find myself talking to him. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not talking to you. But I was the one who kept going to him and going to him. And the next day, I was going to go and see my aunt and uncle. And guys, what do you say to a family that's just lost their second child? Like, I don't have words. I don't know what you say in that situation. I have no idea. But I am filled and empowered with the one who does. The Holy Spirit who is the comforter. That's his name is comforter. So if anybody has the words, the actions, the heart to love my family in this moment, it's him. <laughs> it's him. Amen. And so you know what I did? I got on my knees and I repented. Jesus, I am sorry that I didn't trust you in this situation. I'm sorry that I didn't talk to you. I was so mad, and what I actually needed to do was not put myself in a prison. I needed to be in your presence. I needed to be with you, not turn from you. 
And so I repented so deeply. I think you can tell by my emotions. I was so regretful that I had done that. And you know what he said to me? There was a suddenly moment when he said, I am who I am. He said, I am the great I am. And do you trust me? Well, that broke my silence. <laughs> I ran to his loving arms. I just had to turn around. He was right there for me. And he was so desperately wanting to comfort me from the front. You know, my full heart. And as I went to see my aunt and uncle, I didn't have some big profound words, but I know the comforter was comforting through me because that's all I had. I came empty-handed into a difficult situation and God showed up. I was able to say to my aunt, you have not done anything to deserve this. God doesn't work that way. There's nothing you've done. You are loved by our Father. You see, I put myself in that prison cell and I needed to confess it and come back. You see, what do we do when we're disappointed with God? We understand that you and I need God's forgiveness, right? Without a question, we know that. But we need to be so careful because the act of forgiving implies that the object of forgiveness is guilty of sin and needs to be pardoned. And here's the thing, God is holy. God is perfect and he cannot sin. Therefore, no one has the right to pardon him. I could be upset with him, but I have to be careful how I come to him. Because if I say to him, I forgive you, I'm assuming that he has sinned and he is without sin. He is perfect. And this is where it gets so sticky because we still have to come with this repentant heart and confess how we feel. It was okay for me to say, God, I'm mad at you. His, his shoulders are big enough. He can handle my raw emotions. But making peace with him comes from evaluating my beliefs and my expectations of him, right? If I'm mad at him, if I'm holding a grudge, if I'm feeling like he's out to get me, then I need to come back to the word of God because none of those things are true. He does not try to get me. We have to check our thinking that's based on how Scripture reveals God to be, not who we think God should be. Because if you think that God is a cruel, unjust king sitting on a throne and we are his chest pawns, you are wrong. Please study the word of God. It does not say that anywhere in there. He is loving. He is just. He is merciful. He is our redeemer. And these are the characteristics we need to remember in our time of struggle and sorrow. You see, what I didn't do is I didn't look at the situation from a gospel perspective. I looked at the situation from my own perspective and my own hurt and my own pain. And when we step back and look at it from the gospel, and this is what I mean by that, is that sometimes things happen that are not right and not okay, and we need to know they're not right and they're not okay with God either. 
the, it is not okay that my aunt and uncle have lost both of their children. That's not okay to God. God doesn't think anything of the enemy is okay. Death, sin, destruction, or pain. He hates all of those things. And he longs for the day where you are in his full presence. And none of those things are your prison. You see, Jesus hung on a cross and cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And it wasn't right that an innocent man died for your sins. But that's what happened, and that is the gospel. It was to give us hope, to give us an opportunity to walk out of our prisons and to sometimes say, I'm not okay, but I know Jesus is. Jesus is perfect and holy, and God is perfect and holy. And so when I had finished my I'm not talking to God, right, and come back into alignment and relationship with him, we talked it out, and like I said, I repented and asked him to forgive me, and I was set free from that prison I had put myself in. I separated myself from him. He never did. So what did I do? Well, I followed Paul and Silas's example. I prayed and I sang songs. I prayed and I sang songs. I want you to say that with me. I prayed and I sang songs. What do we do in the midst of grief? I pray and I sing songs. In the midst of turmoil, I pray and I sing songs. In the midst of heartbreak, I pray and I sing songs. In the midst of situations that I don't understand, I pray and I sing songs. I worship the great I am. He says, I am who I am. And he says to us that forgiveness is a choice. It was a choice for Jesus Christ of Nazareth to walk to that hill of Golgotha, to give his life for our sins, and it's a choice for us to step into forgiveness. And it's so easy. We confess the hurt and the sin, and we forgive. We let it go. We release it. Now, I've got this slide that shows the different areas that we imprison ourselves. And remember how I've said, I'm hoping for suddenly moments for us an atmosphere change for us. And I feel like there's people in the room today that are behind a prison. They, they feel bound. They feel stuck. And so I want you to take a look at this list. And I want you to take a, just a second. We're just going to take a little bit of time together. And I want you to look at the list and ask God, is there one of those areas that's really standing out for you today? And church, I know a lot of us have been Christians for a really long time, but I also know that there are situations that come up and our reactions bubble to the surface and and we don't respond the way that we want to all the time and we're pursuing righteousness and godliness and sanctification and forgiveness is a part of that journey. We need to be set free and be so fluent and fluid in asking each other to forgive and asking God to forgive us that it's just a natural, like part of our breathing. Does one of those stand out for you today? Or maybe a couple. I 
I believe God wants us to, to come out of that prison today. And so we're going to say a prayer together, and it's going to be up on the slide. And this is going to be just a moment for you to confess to God and to ask him to forgive you. So I want you to, if you want, read this out with me. Dear God, I am so sorry. I have done many things wrong in my life. Please forgive me for, and I want you to pause. I want you to fill in that blank. Just close your eyes. Let's just fill in that blank. Please, Jesus, forgive me for. All right, I want you to open your eyes and let's keep reading. I do not want to repeat that mistake, sin again. Wash me with your precious blood. That is the only way. Thank you for your love. You are the God of heavens and earth. You came down to die on the cross for my mistakes. Thank you for all the sacrifices you have done for me. Jesus, I love you from the bottom of my heart. Make me clean now. In Jesus' perfect name, amen. Thank you, yeah, right? You see, Jesus said it was finished, and he died, and suddenly the temple veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Like, just rejoice in that. There was a suddenly moment and the atmosphere changed. Jesus Christ was resurrected. He overcame the grave and suddenly all of your sins were forgiven. All of your sins in that suddenly moment, church. All of them. The Holy Spirit fills you. And suddenly, you are empowered now by the perfect Spirit of God to go and preach the gospel. Suddenly. Anybody excited? <laughs> Anybody other than me? Anybody? Suddenly. This is what he's done for you. Suddenly. You just asked for forgiveness. And suddenly, you were forgiven. Could you rejoice in that? Like, can you rejoice in Jesus Christ, your Savior? Suddenly, 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 the prison's gone, the chains are gone, I am set free suddenly because of God's forgiveness. I don't need to be stuck in a prison I don't need to be back there. Jesus calls you out into the marvelous light with his son, Jesus Christ. Do not let the enemy keep you in a prison. Do not believe the lies that you don't deserve to be forgiven. You deserve it. Jesus did not die for some of your sins and some of the people in this room. He chose this plan, this love gift 
for every single one of us. There is nothing you have done that can hold back his lavish love. Come to him and have a change in your atmosphere. Come out of that prison.